dear Christian friends. Over the course of the last month, we've been looking at different attitudes that, that really go into being thankful, right? And, and that means to be filled with thanks. These are attitudes of our heart because Thanksgiving isn't just about right, one day where we take stock of, of all the things in our house or all the good in our lives. It's more than just filling up on a, a delicious feast of turkey. No, Thanksgiving is really all about our hearts. And so we took a look the first week at gratitude, right? The Kind of the general idea that we often have behind thanks. And, and the reason we have to be thankful and, and to be grateful and the power that God gives to that being grateful. And hopefully we've been taking the time to be intentionally grateful to God for the mercies that he pours out on us every day. Then we took a look at the blessing of contentment and how this is a gift from God and, and it gives peace to enjoy the blessings that God gives to us. Today we look at a third attitude of the heart, and it's generosity. Generosity is, is a tough nut to crack, isn't it? I don't think there are really many people that truly have no interest, no desire to be generous. They might not want to be generous to you or to your cause, but most people generally want to be generous, and especially now in our society as we head into the holidays, right, as we lead up to Christmas, there is this idea of giving. Maybe not to every cause, maybe not to your cause, but of, of giving, giving gifts. The idea of generosity is absolutely there. The practice of it, that's a little bit tougher, isn't it? And so anytime we struggle with anything, anytime we, we have a difficulty, it's important to go and, and find out what, what really is the, the crux of the matter. Why is this so difficult for me? Why is this so hard for my heart to be generous? And as with anything we have trouble with, that we struggle with, the best place to go is always to back to God and turn to his word, and listen to what he has to say. And this morning, we hear from God through one of his messengers named Paul, who was writing to some, some Christians in living in ancient Corinth. And he wrote to them words that, that are still very fitting and relevant and living and powerful for us today. Let's take a listen as we begin 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. He writes, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability." We'll pause there for a moment. Paul points the ancient Corinthians and the modern Americans back to some other Christians, to those living in the region of Macedonia. Now, Macedonia, you may be familiar, history buffs, had been a, a power, a world power, about 300 years before Paul wrote these words. You've probably heard of their 
commander at the time, their ruler, his name was Alexander the Great. He conquered much of the known world. In fact, it's, it's said that every battle he commanded, he never lost. That's a pretty good record, right? But then Alexander died, and the, the kingdom was kind of split up a little bit, and then it started to crumble, and eventually it fell and was swallowed up by the Roman Empire. And when that happened, well, Macedonia took a hit. In a couple of ways. One, the, the gold and silver mines of the area, they were no longer under local control. Now, now Rome said, hey, you guys have gold and silver. We'll take that. And what had been local wealth, a source of local wealth, was now operated by Rome for Rome. On top of that, there was open hostility towards Christianity in the area. And so these Macedonian churches, some of, you, some of which you've probably heard of, Berea, Thessalonica, or the Thessalonians, right? There's letters to them. Philippi, or the Philippians, they were, as Paul says, facing a very severe trial. So when you're facing hardship and trial and financial difficulty, how do you react? Fear? Worry? Anxiety? Uncertainty? Do you kind of circle the emotional wagons, right? I'm going to take care of me and my family and the, the immediate things that I need to take care of, but beyond that, I just don't care at the moment. That's not what the, Philippi, or the Macedonian Christians did, though. Paul says, yeah, they were going through extremely difficult times. That doesn't mean that they didn't face any worry or fear or anxiety, but they didn't let those emotions paralyze them. Instead, look what he says. Their overflowing joy plus their extreme poverty welled up equaled rich generosity. Literally, the words for extreme poverty are absolute depths of poverty. <laughs> they hit financial rock bottom. Boom. We got nothing. But look what their emotion was. It wasn't bitterness. It wasn't fear. It was joy. And Paul says not just like overflowing bitterness, but overflowing joy. And, and you add that combined with extreme poverty and you get a result that I don't know that anyone would normally expect, naturally expect, right? Rich generosity. Wait a minute. I thought you said they don't have anything. That's what Paul said. And Paul says, actually, they, they didn't just have nothing, but they gave what, not just as much as they were able, they even gave beyond their ability. And, and the reason Paul brings up this comparison and points to these ancient Christians is to teach modern Christians an important lesson. It's our first takeaway this morning, that generosity does not come from having a surplus. It comes from having a joy-filled heart. This shouldn't be new information. And the reason I say it shouldn't be new information is you've learned a story ever since you were a little kid that teaches that truth. 
It's a story that I'm, I'm almost certain you're familiar with. And in fact, let me show you a, a picture of the character, and I bet you can identify what the story is. Can you see him? Who is that? Scrooge. That's Scrooge. Scrooge had plenty, didn't he? Ebenezer Scrooge was a wealthy man, but he wouldn't give two nickels to his employee, Bob Cratchit, would he? He had the surplus, but he didn't have joy in his heart. See, that's important because I think often we're tempted to think, you know what, if I just had more, if I just had some extra, if I just had a surplus, well, then I'd be generous. Then I'd have something to give. But right now, you know what, I'm just barely getting by. Generosity, though, doesn't come from having more. It doesn't come from having extra. It doesn't come from having a surplus. Generosity comes from a heart that's filled with joy. And that joy comes from Jesus. More on that in just a moment. But before we go into Jesus and the source of our joy, Paul wants to knock down one more barrier, one more reason that that we often come up with for why we struggle with generosity. We find it in verses 4 and 5. Paul writes, entirely on their own, these Macedonian Christians urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then, by the will of God, also to us. Paul didn't pressure these folks. In fact, it, he almost gives the impression that he kind of tried to pump the brakes a little bit, right? Hey, guys, I'm not sure you appreciate how little you have, right? I'm not sure you realize how rough it is for you. And they said, Shh, Paul, this is our thing. We want to do this. See, they had learned a secret And it's a secret that God wants all Christians to know. It's a secret God wants all people to know. It's our second takeaway this morning. Because they urgently pleaded with with us for the privilege of sharing in this service with God. That highlights the point of our second takeaway. That generosity, it's a privilege. It's not a burden. See those Macedonian Christians, they saw this as an opportunity. They didn't see it as an obligation. Uh, uh, Paul's here again. I suppose we better give an offering. They said, man, we know there's some Christians that are really, really in need. And we really want to help. We want to let our love flow. Not just, not just saying we love God. Not just praising God. Not just having a feeling. But, but living it. Helping others who are in need sharing in what God has blessed us with. And I think this is probably the biggest obstacle for generosity, right? To look at generosity as a privilege, as something we get to do, as something that God blesses us with an opportunity to do. See, we forget that that everything good comes from God. We forget that God wants us to use our time and our energy, and our abilities, and our our money, and our possessions, and to use them all, and use them well, and use them good, and use them not for only our own good, but for the good of others. We struggle with that because we're kind of like characters from a movie. It's a Disney movie. It's one you've probably seen, especially if you're under about 45. It's this movie. 
we are like characters from Finding Nemo. Not Nemo himself. Nemo is the guy who goes off in search of, right, what's beyond the reef. But that's not us. And then there's this character, Nemo's friend, Dory, who is perpetually forgetful. And while that might describe some of us, that's not the point. No, we're more like these guys, the seagulls. If you've ever seen the movie Finding Nemo, these characters are notorious, aren't they? They say one word, but they say that word over and over and over and over. And that word is? Mine. Mine, 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 mine. Because aren't we kind of like those seagulls? When it comes to being generous, why is it such a struggle? Well, because that's mine. When your neighbor or your coworker is struggling with something and needs some help and you know it'd be good to help them, why do you hesitate? Why are you reluctant? Is it because you know it's going to be an energy drain? It's going to be a time suck and there goes that time and I can never get it back and that's fine. When you're paying bills and you reach for the offering envelope or you click on the the donate page on our website to give your offering, is it harder to be generous? Because all these other bills, right, they represent something physical that's mine, right? Whether it's heat or water or electricity or a house or a car or internet or a phone, these are mine. But when I give giving something that I think is mine. Our broken and sinful hearts have these seagulls' messed up perspective. We see the world as the stuff that is yours and the stuff that is mine. And so our our broken hearts look at our time and say, no, 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 there's only so much of it, and I want to use as much as possible on And our broken hearts look at, look at the blessings that we have and the, the money in our accounts and the, the stuff we've accumulated, and we say, no, that's all mine. I've worked hard for it, and I bought it with my hard-earned money. So maybe we don't say mine, but we think it, don't we? God says, that's wrong, because that's not, that's not the way he sees it, and And it's the opposite, in fact, of what sin, our sinful hearts, sees. God's perspective looks at everything and says, this is all mine. This is all God's, right? We sang that. We heard that this morning. Everything belongs to God. But he gives, you know what? And he gives generously. And he gives generously to you. Today is a gift of God's grace. The air we breathe is a gift of God's grace. The stuff you have is a gift of God's grace. The abilities you have to work and earn an income and provide for your family and to have friends and to have a church and all of the things that you have that you listed in your thanksgiving, those are all gifts from God. And God says, I want you to use them, and I want you to use them well, and I want you to use them wisely, but I don't want you to use them selfishly. 
See, that's why God says these are actually not yours. Everything you own is not yours. Everything you own is actually God's. But he's put you in charge of using it. And he says, I want you to manage this. That's what stewardship is. Sometimes we use that term in church. That's what stewardship is. It's managing well, right? If you're a manager at a store, well, you have to balance how all of these different things are used, are allocated, how we work this, how we do that. God says the same is true. I want you to use, I want you to manage well your time. Because it's real easy to say, this is all mine and I'm just going to use it for my enjoyment. And God says, I gave you another day. And I want you to use it not just for yourself, but for him, for me, for God. And then he says, look at all of the things that I bless you with, all of the the material possessions in in a fantastically wealthy society today. And I want you to use them and to manage them and and to do it well for all of the good purposes for which he gives them to you. See, God is the source of all good gifts. And he wants us to use them well. And a part of that is to be generous. And to be generous with him. And to be generous for, for others. See, that's why Paul commended the Macedonians, right? Those Christians in Macedonia. Notice what he says. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. These Christians, in spite of extreme poverty, severe trials, they kept their priorities. It would have been tempting to go, you know what? These Christians, that they really need some help, and we only have a little, and that's an immediate need. So we're going to borrow from God to help God's people. But that's not what they did. They gave themselves first to God, and then they gave to help others. Even though this charity, this group that they wanted to help was a good purpose, they still kept their priorities. And did you notice what they gave? Look what Paul says. They gave themselves. It wasn't what they gave. It wasn't an amount that they gave. It wasn't even a really big amount that they gave. They gave themselves. They gave everything. Their whole lives. Their time, their energy, their talents, their treasures, their possessions. All of it was in service to God. And that's a really important point. It's one that I hope you take away from today. It's our our next takeaway. That generosity is not an amount. It's an attitude. That's really a big point of what we heard Jesus speaking about in that that widow's might account, right? It wasn't about the amount. It was about the heart, the attitude there. And the attitude that God wants for generosity, the heart that the generosity flows out of is a heart that has faith. Faith that trusts that God has provided everything good, has done so today, will do so again tomorrow. It's faith that trusts that God has given me the greatest gift ever, that Jesus is my Savior. That's why Paul was going to send his fellow pastor, Titus, to Corinth. Because the Corinthian Christians, well, they were kind of struggling. 
See, they wanted to excel. They wanted to be great in everything. That was kind of a Corinthian way, sort of American way too. And they wanted to be great at all these good things, but, but there were certain things that, well, if, if it's not fun, maybe we don't want to be great at that. And that's why Paul says in verse 6, So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. See, the Corinthians were comfortable kind of picking and choosing what they were really good at, what they worked at excelling. In theory, they wanted to excel at being Christians, and that's a noble goal, right? That's what God wants for all Christians. But they weren't so keen on excelling at giving. And that's why Paul identifies this very clearly. Notice he says, I'm not commanding you, but let me be clear. This is a part of faith. And Paul identifies then what is a sinful weakness for many people. Because the Corinthians, they wanted to be excellent in all of these noble, laudable, God-pleasing ways. Except maybe not so much giving. I think we can relate to that, can't we? We certainly can understand it. Because when you give of something, well, what's in it for you? Nothing. It's kind of the point of a gift, but that's really difficult when I view it all as mine. And we want to get something. If I'm going to give you this, what are you going to do for me? Maybe, maybe not today, but what's, you know, we'll play the long game on this. You'll owe me, right? God says, you're missing the point. That's not what a gift is. That's not what generosity is. That's not what giving is. He uses a word to describe giving. He's done it at least three times in this section. Did you notice it? It's a term that we hear a lot in church, but we don't always associate it with generosity. That term is grace. Because he says, I want you to excel, not just in, in giving, but in this grace of giving. That brings us to our last takeaway this morning. Generosity is the result of grace. It's grace from God, grace that's in me, and grace that's for others. See, if you're unfamiliar with the term grace, or maybe, maybe it's not something you've studied up on recently, grace simply is undeserved love, which is the whole point of generosity, isn't it? Of giving a gift that's undeserved without getting something in return. Generosity is not about what I can get back. Generosity is undeserved. And that's what Paul points us to, the ultimate generosity in the last verse of our text, verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. 
Paul describes here a truth that we know, that we trust, that we love. It's, it's the truth that our faith is built on, right? That Jesus saved us. But he does so in terms that he's been using throughout this entire section. He talks about how Jesus is the Lord. He is God, right? And the Bible says that the whole earth belongs to God. The whole world and everything in it. And yet God wasn't content to simply have it. He wanted to save it. And so Jesus, who lives in the glory of eternity in heaven, who has all power and authority and dominion and praise and honor and glory, well, he set aside the full use of that power, didn't he? So that he could be born as that helpless baby in a dirty manger in Bethlehem. Jesus left the eternal praise of the angel choirs so that he could come here and be mocked and ridiculed and laughed. He left the the glory of perfection in heaven to come here to a world filled with temptation and trial where even his closest friends doubted him. Jesus did all of that. He gave up wealth and power and authority and honor and praise and glory that we can't even begin to comprehend. And he gave it all up for you. He became poor for you so that he might live in your place, so that he might live perfectly the way God commands, demands, expects, and so that his perfect love his perfect trust, his perfect generosity. That's what God sees now when he looks at you. Credited to you by faith. He came to take on the depths of our depravity and our sin and to take them all on the cross and make the payment for all of them. So that when God sees you, he sees someone who is rich. Now you might think, yeah, we're doing okay, pastor, but we're not rich. But that's not the kind of riches that Jesus came to give you. He came to give you something that money can't buy, but that people have tried, still try at. In fact, there's people who spend millions and millions and millions of dollars to get what Jesus gives to you. Forgiveness. Peace for your soul. Freedom from guilt and from shame. Joy at having a purpose and a destiny that, that you would never have known otherwise. Jesus came and he plucked you and me out of the spiritual bankruptcy that leads to hell and he's given you and me an eternal riches in the glory of heaven. Jesus has made you and me rich. And did you notice? Why did he do all that? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of giving. He gave himself to make you rich. He gave himself to give you hope, to give you peace, to give you forgiveness. 
It was his undeserved love for you and for me and for all people. And today I pray, I pray that this undeserved love of Jesus, his generosity of grace, that it would fill your heart and it would fill your heart with joy to know the riches that God has given to you. And I pray that that grace breaks through and breaks down that, that selfish barrier that lives in our heart that wants to view everything as mine and wants to hold on to our time and talents and treasures that God wants us to use and to give for him and for others. And I pray that this grace that Jesus poured, on, poured out on you with generous abundance, that this grace that flows in your heart, that it would also overflow in your lives. That you would give this grace to others as you show your generosity that flows out of a joy-filled, grace-flowing heart. God grant you his grace. Amen.